You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Nikita. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? Complicated question. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into that and the and and the sources of the complication. Um, let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of Non-Zero Newsletter and Substack. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. You're Nikita Petrov. You used to work with me at the Non-Zero Media Empire, uh, but then you went off to found a media empire of your own. Uh, I know you're not a fan of Vladimir Putin, but one thing you share with him is your imperialist aspirations. And so your media empire is called Psychopolitica. It's a newsletter on Substack. People should check it out. It's unlike any other newsletter that I'm aware of. I think I can, I think I can uh, guarantee people that they'll agree after they check it out. Um, and we are going to talk about Alexei Navalny um, from, I think, a pretty unusual perspective, uh, or at least a perspective that you haven't exactly seen in the mainstream coverage of his death last week. So you um, lived in Russia until right after the invasion of Ukraine, you left. You're now in Spain. And you, That's right. you, you kind of came, in, came of age in the Navalny era in a way and were very influenced by it. You participated in political demonstrations that were Navalny-inspired, Navalny-related. You were even detained by police at one we, we've told that story uh, before, which is actually pretty entertaining on this podcast. Maybe we'll have time for it again. But I thought it would be good to, to just have you kind of tell uh, the Navalny story from your perspective. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, how you became aware of him and, and, and kind of what what he meant to your generation. And then talk a little about the aftermath, about what what he was really trying to accomplish, uh, what his legacy will be, and whether what he hoped to accomplish can be realized, and so on. Uh, does that all make sense? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I became aware of that of him pretty early on, like before he was, you know, considered the leader of the oppositional movement. Before the most people thought there is there was an oppositional movement. Uh, I don't know exactly when that was, but by summer of 2011, uh, this was like my first political uh, event that I went to. There was this convention in this forest. There was a forest that they were building a highway through, and there was a protest uh, against that of cutting down the forest and became for a short while a kind of focal point for, uh, you know, just political anything in Russia, like every once in a while you would get these protests. And, and at you're, that about, time, you're about how old at this point? 2011, uh, that's, oh, God damn it, what, what year is it now? <laughs> <laughs> I have a calculator here. I'll tell you what, you give me your birthday. That's 12 years ago, so so I'm, I'm 23. Uh, and Navalny, I think, is my age now he's 35 or 34 at the time uh -huh. uh, and so at the time he was like if if he was present somewhere in like some interview or somewhere they would call him a blogger because that was what he was 
known for. He was publishing at Live Journal, uh, which was kind of like what Substack is now for you know in the West. At that time, Live Journal was for Russia. This is like this is the blogosphere, um, and he was publishing these like and uh, uh, corruption investigations, uh, detailed you know documents how money gets stolen here and there. Uh, and he was present. It's usually like lawyer slash blogger Alexei Navalny, and so I have a picture from that from that event where Navalny and me are sitting on the same lawn in the in the forest mm-hmm. listening really? to somebody else. Yeah, with a kind of how facial cl- how close is how close is he to you? I'll show you the picture. It's like I don't know five meters or something. We're like it's it was a small thing. It was not huge back then. He was like the most prominent person at the event, but there were mm-hmm. no really prominent people at the event. And that actually was, a, that particular event was fascinating, like looking back at it now, because it was it was a short period where the oppositional movement included every ideology. So in that forest gathered, you know, from feminists and like ultra liberals and then neo-nationalists. And they all shared the same spot and they had little, you know, there's a nationalist trying to deliver his speech and the people who would never be caught in the same place with him, you know, before that are, mm. you know, grilling him, why, you know, uh, asking him questions and trying to prove him wrong. But they all shared the same uh, pathos, which was we can hash out the differences and figure out you know, argue about the direction the country should go in after we achieve the ability to do so. so Currently, is the, there is the are idea no... that kind of active opponents of the regime, so to speak, were such a kind of, um, you know, minority uh, that they just had to put aside their differences and, and, and uh, collect their energies? I mean, I, I don't exactly know why it happened that at that period, because, you know, there were a minority of, uh, you know, oppositional figures before then. I guess they too also, uh, you know, managed to, like the previous generation, Kasparov and Limonov, let's say, mm. very different mm-hmm. ideologically, but they would be arrested in the same square on mm-hmm. the 31st of every second month. Uh, they had this strategy, it was called Strategy 31. They would do a protest on the 31st of every month that has a 31st. And, but those were tiny protests, usually, and they all just led to people getting arrested. And so the thing that you knew Kasparov and Limona for is just pictures of being them being dragged into a police van. Okay. And so Navalny was the first uh, noticeable figure of the next generation of uh, these oppositional uh, politicians and, and a very different kind. He actually had an ability to talk to different kinds of people and to deliver his message. Uh, uh, he was constantly kind of innovating, figuring out new ways to reach more people or to uh, tailor his message to different audiences. And he was trying to unite people of different stripes. Like at that time, the uh, the problem that people had with him, that I had with him, is this association with nationalists. He would attend national, like, you know, 
grim looking rallies. It was this called thing called Russian March. And you would go there and there were people who, you know, you would definitely some portion of the people at that march would do a like a Zig Heil kind of salute. Really? And, kind of so there was kind of a neo-Nazi element. Not that he was directly necessarily associated with that, but he was at kind of at rallies, nationalist he, rallies that featured that element. That's right. That it's like it was their territory, and he would mm -hmm. go into that territory. And uh, so, at the time, we'd like there were a lot of arguments about that. I would have these like long uh, conversations with friends, and I would be the one who said, "This is problematic, but let's try to figure out what he's doing here." And uh, I'm by now, I'm totally fine with that part of his uh, biography because I see what he was trying to do. I think, and it, it kind of lasted throughout his, uh, the rest of his career, which is, he was kind of like a, in a sense, a single issue candidate, which is, uh, he wants just the basic foundations of a democratic country, the separation of the branches of the government, open and honest elections, uh, where, you know, any citizen can take the steps to uh, be a part of the election, I mean, uh, to run uh, for some kind of office and, and not be, um, you, you can just ban people from running into election because they are uh, independent uh, actors. And no censorships, like those are, no, no, no government censorship. Those are the main kind of building blocks of what he was uh, trying to achieve and everything else was tied to that. So, uh, you know, it, I guess also decentralization, but even decentralization of Russia. So like more mm -hmm. money and decision-making power should be given to regions on every level. So when he was running for mayor of Moscow, it was also part of the program that municipalities within Moscow should have more money and power than the center. That that already is like a second order kind of thing. It's like a through line through his career, but that is already something that you can argue about after you establish a system where right. independent people can run for office and there are debates where these people, um, uh, you know, hash this out. So his main thing was that just establishing basic democratic um, right. infrastructure sort of for the country. And this nationalist thing, it's like at that time, there just was no movement. There was no group of people who had the passion or, uh, uh, you know, the, the strength or the, the conviction to like go and protest in mass. And the mm -hmm. nationalists were, uh, were that kind of, you know, they had the potential of becoming that kind of power. And so he would talk to nationalists, he would talk to liberals, he would talk to whoever. If if anybody is having a rally, he would try to be a part of it. Uh, and at the time, the nationalists were uh, an important okay. force. Uh, and then after a while, he kind of drifted towards the liberal crowd more because they became more of the focal point um, of these protests. Uh, but his message stayed the same and his the thing that he was trying to do stayed the same and it's just this basic uh reform to turn russia into just a european democracy mm -hmm. 
Okay. So um, you become aware of him as a blogger. I mean, he had kind of spent some time in, 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 in more political circles, I guess. And, and for a time was even uh, involved in what, you know, kind of, I think uh, more mainstream media, you might say, right? Like, uh, I mean, I read in Wikipedia that for a time he, he was, he was getting associated with state run or state approved TV or something. But anyway, he had a falling out. Um, I think he had. So, so this is earlier, if I understand correctly, what you're talking about, this is early than that. He was having these, he was hosting debates at a bar. I, this was before before my time. He was hosting political debates at a bar. It was this like raunchy uh, thing, like a cultural kind of event. And uh, eventually somebody suggested to turn that into a TV show. Uh, and I think they've like made a pilot. I think maybe they had an okay. episode or two. So it wasn't like he had any sort of career. But I think they televised maybe one or two of these events. And they they ended with... Navalny shooting a guy in the leg. There was a, a neo-Nazi, actually. Like, the word, like, you, wait, you mean a staged thing or he actually shot him? No, the, a bunch of neo-Nazis showed up to uh, like wreck havoc, uh, you know, uh, break tables and beat people up and whatnot. And Navalny had, it's not like a proper, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good with guns. I don't know the different, like, kinds of guns that are out there in Russian it's called tra- traumatic like a traumatic gun it's not like a proper gun like like a pellet gun in, maybe like a BB something. gun or a pellet gun yeah so it's like it's like what you can easily buy uh with uh, current russian laws uh it's so it's not as dangerous as you, i i think it's like hard to kill a person with this though possible sounds like maybe uh, a so, pellet gun okay and so he he wounded this prominent uh neo-nazi guy in he shot him in a leg when uh when the fight kind of broke out and that was the end of these debates okay well that's one way to bring a debate to to an end um so then you become aware of him he's like now a blogger and i assume the whole blogosphere is a little freer than than it is now oh for sure i mean mm-hmm. right now there's there's no right now it's very very tight um, but, uh, but at the time, yeah, you could publish and he was like gaining prominence at this live journal blog of his, and I was a reader and then 2011, so the summer of 2011, this convention in the forest, and then the autumn of 2011, the same people organized a different convention, uh, where I also was present and the debate then was we're going to have a parliamentary election at the end of the year in December. What are we going to do? Do we have a strategy or not? Because before then there was never a strategy. There were like these politicians who like systemic opposition as it's called in Russia, people who are allowed to participate and they would get 2%, 3%, 5%. And I think 5% was the threshold that like, either gets you like a little bit of representation in the Duma or you get funding, you get a little bit of state funding uh, if you meet 5%. And that was a major hurdle. Like people couldn't couldn't mm-hmm. do that. And so, and they were like disparate. It was like this guy who never won anything says, uh, go vote for me. And 
the other person who also is against Putin says, vote for me. And so there is no common strategy. And so Navalny was the person who came up with an approach that won uh, a popular appeal within this, you know, uh, pro-democratic movement. And so that he, was, he got above the 5% threshold. No, he, he could not participate. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. It's not, not that not everybody can participate. And so the question was, what do we do if we can't actually like have a presence at the election? Like he can't run, he's not going to be allowed to. So what do we do? And his approach was vote for any party except for the United Party. It does not like we're not going to be able to elect people we actually want to represent us. Mm -hmm. So let's just make a point of taking as many seats as we can from the ruling party so that then there's more competition in the parliament and maybe we can, you know, it's a showing of force and then, and then we'll see what happens next. And maybe we can, you know, okay. uh, kind of shake the system up. So, a little so find bit. a party that is above the 5% threshold and support it just because it's not, it's not Putin's party. Uh, the 5% is like, this is the goal for a like a, a minor party to okay. uh, show in the election. So it doesn't like in, in his approach, it doesn't matter. Like you want to vote for communist, you like maybe communists disgust you less than the liberals or maybe liberals disgust you less than right, the communists. Okay. Anybody, whatever, but anybody, but by the United Russia. And, and that is so like in autumn, I remember this debate. It was him and two other people uh, arguing for different uh, strategy. So another was like boycott the election and another was go to the polling station, but instead of putting a vote, just spoil the, um, the ballot, just mm -hmm. like cross it out or write a obscene word, word or whatever. And so Navalny's approach won. And for the first time, there was a significant number of people, like a lot of people who never bothered to vote mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And then some subset of those also registered to be the uh, observers, I guess it's called, of the elections. That is, you, sh you, you register and you show up to the polling station to make sure that there is no fraud. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is December, December 5th uh, of 2011. And then uh, these people who were the observers of the election, they recorded a whole lot of fraud. So a lot of people showed up and voted against the United Russia Party. And there was a lot of very straightforward fraud of like stuffing bullets in the uh, ballots in the, you know, the, the voting or in, or stealing them and, and all that kind of stuff. And the results of the election that were officially presented the next day did not seem to make sense. And so to put the two into to get, it was like, I remember the feeling. So we tried this thing. We had it like we argued about the strategy, and then we had a strategy, then we went and voted. And then the next day, you kind of get the message that it doesn't matter. We're just going to make up whatever numbers we want to. And you've got all this video proof of how exactly this happens. Mm -hmm. And so then, just like this election was a first for many, then there was a protest rally that was a first for many. And that was so December. Point you could disseminate video like these these observers had smartphones that documented this stuff or something and then you at this point you could disseminate it on the internet like like putin kind I of think, hadn't caught up to the the era oh yeah at, at that at that time the internet was was free 
they yeah. they they didn't really and at that time it like felt maybe the internet is always going to be free because right. these people are not so good with technology uh you know they got their tv they don't consider the internet as a major thing anyway well, uh, I remember because, conversations with you after this when you, ex I think, when you explained to me, you know, the internet is kind of for young people and they're not paying that much attention to it. Most people watch mainstream TV and so Putin controls things through that. I, I, I this was maybe, I don't know, this was, anyway, this was, uh, could have been eight so years ago, that, 10 years ago. At that time, it's definitely, that was definitely the kind of predominant view. Uh, and Navalny was trying to use this tool and, and you know, I don't have TV, I'm going to use what I have. And so then I remember going to this party that was uh, oh, this uh, rally and that was the first one for me. Uh, and I think my feeling was the same as most everybody's feeling at that event, which is we were very surprised to see each other. I thought I'm going to show up and it's going to be 300 people or whatever. It's going to be uh, something small and, and insignificant. And it was five to 10,000, I think, is the number that they give. And at that time, that was like, wow, uh, mm -hmm. unheard of. And so there was this rally and then... Navalny and I guess Yashin were the two people. Yashin is in jail now as, as well. He's doing, I forget the sentence, but it's like definitely more than six years. Um, and they decided to, they said, let's go to the uh, election officials building. Yeah, I don't know the, the correct English terminology. Uh, you know, the people are responsible for carrying out the elections and counting the results and like protest in front of that building. And again, this was before kind of the rules were set. Like we, the, the limits of what you can do and can't do were not mm -hmm. clear because nobody really did this before. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't enough people that wanted to protest. And so at that time, yeah, let's, let's go. We're not doing, you know, it's not illegal we're we're uh just gonna go uh down a couple of streets and then uh show just a presence in front of this building and this is where i got detained on on our way to this building uh and 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 a, a lot of people got detained that day uh and some got arrested like mike uh you know the the group of people that i was grabbed with uh like 30 people or whatever in the, in the same police van and we spent the night at the police station the next day was court and the sentences were given out seemingly at random like if you have had prior history you're definitely getting a sentence and if not there's just no logical reason there's like this guy gets a thousand ruble fine this guy gets 10 days in jail or prison mm -hmm. or whatever the term is and then the next week, there was a big legal registered rally at the Balotne Square that at the time, at least, it seemed to me like it, a, a big part of the reason people showed up to that one is the arrests done at the first one. So it's like five to 10,000 people showed up 
right after the election. They got arrested. And then a week later, there is a totally legal, like you could, I mean, you didn't, you, you didn't know what was going to, what was going to happen. There was some fear, but, uh, I'm going to skip like the, there's so many details that I remember from that time, but there were reasons to believe that people are not going to get arrested at this one. Okay. And so to that one, tens of thousands chopped up mm. 50 or 70 or whatever. And that was completely unheard of. And so this was like the beginning of the era, um, uh, that ended a few years later. So 20, the end of 2011 is this birth of the, uh, Russian protest movement, of whom Navalny was the main kind of character uh, and eventually the leader. And then like, you know, in 2012, people get first serious sentences, like 10 years in jail. And then 2013, Navalny runs for mayor of Moscow and shows a very strong result, doesn't win, but shows a very strong result. And then 2014, is annexation of Crimea and that changes the whole landscape because like these nationalists who were a part of the broader pro-democracy movement, some of them joined the, uh, the authorities. They, it, it was very appealing to them that Russia is now. So Putin you know, wins over some of the nationalists who had been a problem for him by annexing over, Crimea. That's right. He wins over some and he jails others. Uh, and eventually kills some uh, that were jailed. And and Navalny uh, at this point supported the annexation of Crimea, right? No, he did not. Uh, he the, didn't. So the what what gets him in trouble? The reason I I saw after after he died, I saw some like uh, angry comments from Ukrainians uh, who were not happy with this guy getting praise. He didn't support the annexation of Crimea. What he said, the, the quote that gets him in trouble is uh, the interviewer asked, like, so if you were, if you become the president, are you going to give Crimea back? Mm -hmm. And the quote okay. is, Crimea is not a sandwich to just, you know, one person comes and takes it, the other person comes, gives it back. And, and his answer was, this is not going to be solved simply. This shouldn't have, shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But now that it has happened, it's going to become one of these territories like Northern Cyprus or something, where it's going to be disputed territory for a long time before we figure out how to put an end to this uh, part of the history. Okay. So is this whole period kind of before Navalny turns to YouTube as a big... Uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember when YouTube became a thing, I think. I think the major push, the major uh, kind of push towards YouTube was like 2018, maybe when he was, mm -hmm. he announced he's running for president, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't, even I didn't buy that. Like, you're not going to actually participate in the election, but he did this thing. Actually, I was listening to an interview with a guy, um, in you know, in the in the aftermath of his death, um, people are remembering him. And I listened to an interview with this photographer, Evgeny Feldman, who uh, was embedded with the campaign. He did an incredible job. Like the the pictures taken at that uh, campaign, uh, some of them are just incredible journalistic work. Uh, but he 
said that I never it never occurred to me. He said that he so he was covering the presidential election in the US in 2016. And then the Navalny people invited him to do like a little lecture and Q&A at their office about the presidential campaign in the US. Mm -hmm. And he thought, you know, they're just curious. And then uh, and then Navalny announces his run uh, pretty shortly after that. And, it, and I never this is what this is what year again? I, I missed that. The, this, this is, is like 20, 2018 is the election. And I okay. think 2017 uh, is when he announced that he's running. That's never done in Russia. Nobody. So he, he ran like a, a U.S. style campaign where you start way ahead of the election and you go from one city to another city to another city and you do rallies and you talk to people and you do, you know, he can't do it quite the way Americans do it with like town halls and, you know, legally. Uh, but he did that where he could and where he couldn't, he would gather people in the street and then the police shows up and they go, you got to disperse. And Navalny had this thing of negotiating with the police. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, people have gathered they were not allowed to, but they have. And so now there's this, and it's like some city in the middle of Russia where this kind of thing never happens. And so the police shows up, but they're not sure what to do. They go, you got to disperse. And Navalny goes, well, I already have all these people here. You don't want a commotion, do you? Like if, if I tell them go home, they're not going to go home and then it's going to be a whole thing. So how about we just do our thing? It's not going to take a long time and mm -hmm. we will be out of your hair. And sometimes they would actually just back away and other times they wouldn't. And in that case, it would always escalate, which is to say he would like climb on a, you know, a pile of snow or a bench in a park where at one point there's, I think, a picture of them. He's standing like on a, what do you call it? Uh, a, a, like a, it's a playground, what do you call it? A ride where a, a child would climb a slide, up and then a slide. A slide. Yeah. So Navalny is like on top of a, you know, slide in a playground uh, talking to people. Mm -hmm. This is after the police told them to to disperse. And so he did that for like a year, I think. Um, and apparently, this is what I'm saying, I'm, I, I never put the two and two together. Apparently that's like inspired by he was, you know, taking cues from how this is done in other countries. And, and he thought, well, maybe if I start early and by the time election time comes, I actually have, you know, recognition and I've done all these rallies and there's reasons to think that you can't just easily dismiss me. Maybe I can get into that election. That never happened. Um, but yeah, so that's the timeline. So, and so just kind of to review, so from 2011 to the, to 2014, when you have the, the Maidan revolution and then Putin seizes Crimea and then annexes it. Um, Navalny it has has succeeded in generating a kind of political mobilization that's, I guess, pretty much unprecedented. And and he is kind of recognized as being the head of it. Is that is that is by the end? I guess I mean it, it's kind of a Navalny thing. I think it's. It's probably like after the annexation of Crimea is when you could say that with more um, certainty because he was what he was trying to do 
let's say like 2011, 20, maybe 2013, uh, when he runs for mayor of Moscow. Okay. Is when yeah. you could when you could uh, say that this is clearly the leader because he is participating in an election. He has good results. He's like 30 something percent and uh, the incumbent narrowly uh, uh, avoids the second tour of the second mm -hmm. round of, of voting. Um, even though he had all the resources, you know, all the billboards in the city and all the TV and all of that. Uh, and Navalny just had a couple of months of just doing these events. Every metro station in the city, he would like put up some chairs and talk to people. He, I don't know how many he did, like a, a couple of hundred or something. So Putin these. must be a little freaked out at this point, like after the, the Moscow mayoral race. I, I think that's right. So I think the idea was the reason, like they didn't have to allow him to run in that election legally. Like uh, he, there were bureaucratic uh, uh, barriers for him mm -hmm. to run and they handed that to them. They They like decided, go ahead. And I think the idea was that uh, Sabayan, who was the mayor then and is the mayor now, was popular and he was changing the city. And uh, you could see how the cheat city is becoming better. And so they thought he's going to win with a land, uh, in a landslide. And so let's let's do this. Let's allow Navalny to run to prove that he's nobody. Uh, and that they failed at. He didn't win, but he proved that he's definitely not a nobody. Mm -hmm. And he had this huge, it was in the city was this huge thing. He's the only candidate who actually talked to people every day or like every second day. And he had volunteers. I was one of those people handing out newspapers and talking to people in the street. And he had events and he had rallies. And there was this whole actual political campaign, which again, just doesn't happen in Russia. Like all these parties that are there, you know, mm -hmm. people who are running for president now, I nobody nobody's like talking to them. They're not talking to the people. They're not, they don't have a strategy of because they are not trying to win. Um, and he was trying to win. And he had the strong showing. And I think this is when they decided this is not gonna fly. We're gonna have to, and they just like gradually were were tightening the screws. Um, on 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 the internet and, and 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 the threshold for political participation and everything. Yeah, every like the changing the laws for uh, for elections, the political protests. Uh, you know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Navalny himself. I'm not going to remember the dates now, the years when he's like there was a time when he's they they start first criminal cases against him. And there was one time when they like gave him a sentence and then reversed that sentence after uh, after a protest. And nobody really, I haven't heard like a very compelling explanation of what exactly happened there. Because like, it's like the judge gave him a sentence and then the mm -hmm. next day they turn it around. It's, it was weird. Um, Navalny was asked about that and he said that, uh, you know, I don't have any complicated explanations except so, you know, people went into the streets and protests and they decided this is too much of an outcry. Um, but there are also conspiracy theories about, you know, maybe he has, he had at the time, you know, somebody in the Kremlin who was kind of rooting for him and other people were not, there are, you know, 
different mm-hmm. ideas, but no coherent explanation for that one. And then, you know, over the years, again, I don't remember the years now, but at some point his brother is put in jail for two years, I think. His brother who uh, is not a figure of any sort. Uh, he's just Navalny's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, 2012, I said the first like long terms for regular protesters. So mm-hmm. it was another big rally at this Bolotny Square. And and the people who were put in jail, it seemed like a random sample, like an old man, a woman, a young man, you know, people from different walks of life. It, it seemed like a tactic to like show whoever you are, if you attend, you're risking, you're, you're taking the risk. And then between 2014, 2018, it sounds like his path was still one of kind of political mobilization, political activism. He makes a big splash in the Moscow mayoral election. And is it then that he turns to a more purely kind of media strategy or, or, or a strategy more reliant on things like YouTube? Well, I, it's just an evolution. Like, it's, again, as I said, he started out online. Right. You know, he had a blog. Right. Uh, and and then he was just uh, one of the first figures in sort of you know political or even journalistic uh, uh, circles in Russia to take YouTube seriously. He just realized that this is this is I, a tool that's going to make a difference. I guess what I mean is, after the mayor's election, does does Putin kind of crack down enough that Navalny says, okay, for the time being. Political office isn't going to be the thing. Demonstrations are going to be hard. I'm, I'm no demonstration. I, demonstrations kept happening. Okay, uh, they were just kind of the. They were some of them were bigger, some of them were smaller. The YouTube thing was a part of of a broader strategy of which demonstrations were a part. Right. They had, I forget the year now, but one of the big successes was. Uh, you probably have seen this actually, uh, at least like parts. He had this movie about, uh, like an investigative documentary sort, uh, about Medvedev. It was called, he's not demon to you because people, yeah. it was who, like a quote from, a, who had been briefly, uh, president. Had like one term. Yeah. One yeah, term wh- president while between Putin stepped back to be prime minister and then Putin reasserted his authority. Yeah. And that kind of thanked Medvedev, actually. Like, he had a career before then, and and after that, nobody took him seriously. And that oh, really? thing... So Navalny uh, kind of kind of finished him off politically, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, you, you could say that. At least you could argue that. Um, I, you know. Uh, and, and that led to... I think that was the first time... I'm not mistaken. I think this was the first time when uh, the protests that Navalny's team were trying to organize were not local. So like the Balotne rally, it was, we're doing this in Moscow. And then other people, you know, did corresponding events in other cities, but there was no coherent strategy done, you know, by by one Mm -hmm. team of people to do a nationwide protests. And I think it was after that movie about Medvedev where they did this for the first time and it was successful in terms of the number of people showing up. I was actually at that time 
this was like I was losing faith in in these protests. It seemed to me that 2011 to 2013, with the mayoral campaign uh, as kind of the apex of that, there was a chance that these protests are going to matter because the uh, the system has not fully adjusted to deal with them yet, and there was this like. Uh, you know, he was able to actually participate in an election. And there was all this constant push and pull of what's allowed and what's not allowed. And and people were trying to kind of expand those limits of what is allowed. And these protests were one part of it. And after, I think, you know, 2014, so it was like annexation of Crimea, there were anti-war protests. I was a part of that too. And I think at that time already, I was feeling like we're, you know, we showed up, but I don't think this is gonna, I don't think they has a chance of actually influencing the situation. And so I was, by the time Navalny was saying that he's running for president again, I was not, I was not buying that he's actually going to be on any ballot. Um, what, I year did he, what year did he start saying he's running for president? That's so the election is 2018, and I think okay. 2017 must be the year when he announced the campaign and started going. Wait, oh, I thought seat. I thought I got confused. Again. I thought 2018 was the mayor's election. No, the the uh, no, that's that's 2013. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got uh, okay. So now by this time, I actually know you, right? We're 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 mm -hmm. at, by, and uh, we're actually working together. Um, so at this point. Uh, what was so, but do some people take him seriously? I mean, he does create a stir, surely, when he says, I'm running for president for sure, for sure. And uh, so this, uh, the, the, the protest that I was talking about, where he, um, it was the first nationwide protest. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing that set it apart from others was that it was a younger crowd, so it's like, but you know, it's it must be like. I don't know, five years since my first rally. Mm -hmm. And so in those five years, you know, a bunch of school kids were not school kids anymore. You know, teenagers mm -hmm. got into their early 20s. And, and actually it's like not, the were like, I think it was since then, since that rally that Navalny, you know, his critics, started mocking him for the for how young the crowd is because some of them were still in high school or some of mm -hmm. them were like 18 19 um and and i get i think there was even a law passed against political propaganda to minors or something which is funny because okay. navalny doesn't really have access to these minors and the ruling party has the schools and they do propagandize in those schools mm -hmm. pretty openly you know you, you could see like posters for united russia and they you know kids are given uh whatever uh notebooks and pens with uh political you know the logo of the political party and this kind of thing mm -hmm. so by by the time he says he's running for president what would you say he kind of represents to people i mean has the nature of his cause evolved he starts out as part of a pretty broad coalition that just isn't happy with the way things are done and wants things to in one sense or another open up and uh does he 
Does he have a more definite platform by the time he runs for president? So he has a platform. We could look it up. I wouldn't be able to actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, articulate now the different points of it, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in, in saying this, that since like I started following him, following him to his death, uh, the different causes. So like I, I alluded to this in the beginning, like, so one, one example of this was in the, in the platform when he was running for president is decentralization, mm -hmm. right? So different regions should have different rules. More decisions should be made at the regional level. Chechnya is very different from Moscow and like, you know, what's allowed in the public, for example, might be different. It's, you know, like, uh, in, in the States that one state might be different from the other. So he would, that was one part of the pro, of the platform, but I think that was still secondary to just institutional reforms, you know, independent judiciary, no mm -hmm. censorship, free and open elections, uh, separation of, uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, branches of the government. I forget if it was in the, in that presidential platform of his, but later he articulated pretty strongly in, I think it was when he was in jail, he wrote this article that was published in some, like the New York Times or Washington Post, something like that, where he argued for parliamentary republic that became uh, like a, a fully articulated opinion of his that um, uh, Russia is considered a super, par a super presidential republic. So the, the balance of powers is shifted significantly towards even before the, you know, Putin changed the constitution. Uh, mm -hmm. Since 1993, it was considered like the balance of power is shifted towards the president pretty heavily. And Navalny made the argument, like, if you look at the fates of post-Soviet uh, countries, uh, those who became parliamentary republic republics are more prosperous and more free mm -hmm. than those who uh, chose a more presidential kind of approach. But in my mind, even that, again, I mean, it's pretty fundamental thing. It's the kind of like, if, if he comes to power, this is what he would try to do, these kinds of reforms. But I think more important that like his, Navalny's followers, people who would vote for him in the presidential election would not agree on this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some people would think this is the right thing. Some people would not, but that it was a second order kind of uh, position to what I've been describing. It's just, it, 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 you, you can hear it even now. Uh, people say this, it's a very common thing to say that all that we wanted and all of he represented is just to be a normal country. And normal just means uh, a democracy of a European kind. Okay. So um, after he runs for president, um, you know, after that, I'm kind of most aware of him as almost a YouTube figure. At some point, obviously, he becomes enough of, or he's perceived as enough of a threat to get poisoned. I guess that's in 2022. Um, it, maybe I've got that no, wrong. No, that can't be. I think that's, that must be 2020. 2020, he first gets poisoned. Yeah, uh, I well, think so. Okay. 
And that happens in Russia. So that's not long after he ran for president. Did he did he make enough of a showing such that the presidential run itself was a threat to Putin or was it more things after that or both? No, the presidential run was important. It just wasn't really a presidential run, in my view, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he never had a chance of actually getting on a ballot. Okay. But he used the election as a reason to uh, organize meetings with the people. So he would have these rallies where he would speak to the crowd. Uh, he would do Q&A. Somebody, some critic of his would show up, you know, a, a nationalist uh, guy would show up and like criticize him and he would go, okay, let's debate. And he would bring mm-hmm. somebody on the stage and argue with them. And that, you know, the number of these uh, meetings with local populations of all of these different cities uh, and the number of people who showed up, uh, that definitely was not something that the Kremlin can could tolerate. So they you know, needed to do something. It's just people were slow to realize that they're um, they're going to actually try to kill him and then eventually succeeded that. And he's in Russia when he gets poisoned, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's on this tour. It's 2020. I don't know what it was. Uh, what he must have been campaigning. Uh, there probably was a parliamentary election coming up. And he was doing the same kind of thing, touring the country. And he was in Siberia somewhere, I think in Murmansk, uh, where this happened. He like the he went into a coma, I guess, uh, or whatever. Like the the thing that that um, he started to feel bad on the plane. So right. uh, he was he was in midair, and then he. Guess he landed in Murmansk, and this is where he, uh, which is north. Uh, this is where he was hospitalized, and for a while nobody could see him. And then there was a protest, and his wife showed up, and there were some pronouncements from foreign leaders. And eventually, after holding him there for a while, they allowed uh, him to be transported to Germany, where he got better. And uh, and then, you know, he makes this decision to come back to Russia, which amazed me at the time. I mean, he obviously was a courageous person. I mean, just the, the whole idea of even just being one of these people who keeps pushing things as far as they, you know, you know, even getting up on the slide and delivering the speech. If there are like police around looking menacing, yeah. you know, like that's not my style, you know, yeah. like and, you know, it's. I assume he was charismatic. I mean, he had like Hollywood good looks. He's this big, athletic-looking, robust guy. He seems fearless, and I assume he had a he, sense. Of, he had a sense of humor that was a, a very important part of his appeal. Uh-huh. And he could talk to anybody. Like all of these arrests, he would talk to the police that is arresting him, and sometimes you know managed to have a conversation where they seem. By the end of it, they they seem like maybe, you know, if he gets on the ballot, they might actually vote for him. Huh. Just right now, just right now, they've got, you know, the, the situation is different. Um, So, yeah, he was, uh, and he was a very, uh, what is the word to use in English? Uh, like, coherent person. He was, like, the whole thing. Is or, like, um, no, oh, I, I mean, I, I mean. 
there was no contradiction. It was like this one thing that he's doing and he knows okay. what he's doing and he's going to do it until the end. And this is where this decision to come back comes from. It's like everybody's baffled and he's always uh -huh. used to say, you know, there, it, was not a, it was not really a decision for me to make because the decision has been made way earlier. That's like what I, he said or that's? Yeah, that's, I mean, what he, what he means is, you know, he made the decision to not think about the consequences for him a long time ago, right? Uh -huh. It's like, you know, by 2012, people, people who are interviewing him start the interview with, why are you still alive? Right, so it, it, it was like by 2012, uh, by 2020, when he got, gets poisoned, it's like at least eight years of him being very aware that he might get killed. Uh -huh. uh, and deciding to do this anyway. So it's a decision he made once and then, you know, decided to not think about it because if you think about it and you make this decision every day, then you might get paralyzed. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And when he came back, did you think to yourself, well, he's definitely going to jail and he knows that much? Or did... I mean, yeah, pretty much. I you know, it's because he wasn't think, at that point. I mean, did they have to drum up new charges? He wasn't under. He hadn't been prosecuted. I mean, he wasn't facing jail time when he left, right? No, I don't. I, I actually I get confused because they they had so many different yeah, uh, he, cases he had against periodically him. been, you know, they tried to get him into various kinds of legal trouble, I think, going pretty far back. But. Yeah, uh, and they and they had like a bunch of these uh, cases, and yeah. so it's, at some point you kind of stop following like what is the new one. Yeah, they're gonna um, they're gonna dream up something in any event. Yeah, it's not like it matters. It's not like it has to but make he legal must sense have guessed, or anything. He must have guessed. I will probably, I will almost certainly wind up in prison if I don't just get killed right away. I mean, uh, if he's thinking, of course, you know. Part of courage is being an optimist sometimes, you know. I think I think that's, a, yeah, that's a, it's a part of it. It's like, part of it is not thinking about the consequences. Let mm -hmm. me not, let me try to not think about what happens when I do this. I know this is the right thing to do. Let me do that and see what happens. And then by that time, we kind of had this conversation, a similar conversation we talked about Prigozhin. You know, if right. if for a while you take risks and you manage to survive that's part of how you that's part right. of how you operate uh no, and, you, and he, you you can almost start to believe you lead a charmed life in a sense i mean i don't mean he was delusional or anything but people you keep getting positive reinforcement for something and i kind of my it. feeling i mean this is you know totally speculative and intuitive but my feeling is he really you know he he had this ethos of i'm gonna do the right thing and let whatever mm -hmm. happens chip, after happen yeah. chip fall yeah yeah but what you're saying about this illusion of invincibility i think a lot of people had this feeling about him seems especially after you know he's poisoned and then he's in coma and then he gets out yeah and he is you know in a few weeks he looks healthy and and throughout this whole thing, even until his death, the last video uh, that exists of him is the day before he dies. He's in court by video 
conference. So he's on a TV in a court and there is a judge and then there's a prosecutor or somebody. And that video is him laughing with the judge and the prosecutor. He says something like, uh, with all these decisions that you're making, dear judge, um, I'm running out of money because he's like fined again and again and again. I'm mm -hmm. running out of money. So I'm going to tell you my account number, my, my bank number. You should like crowdfund this initiative of me paying the fines that you're giving to me. And he, he kind of like, he says, out of your huge salary of a federal judge, and then chuckles, uh -huh. and then the judge chuckles, the joke being the salary is not huge. Uh -huh. And, you know, part of Navalny's argument is judges should make more. And in a better system, if I were president, you actually would live a better life. You would you would be respected mm. because you would not be you would you know you would get a higher salary and you would also have respect because people would know that you are trying to uphold justice and not uh, you know fulfill the wishes of, of the higher ups. But the point is, like even until his death, he kept this optimistic you know attitude where everybody mm -hmm. else is depressed. The the photographer guy I was talking about earlier, he said that. I forget the details of his situation, but he he kept writing, uh, you know, exchange letters with Navalny when he was in jail, and he said that Navalny got him out of depression at some point, and he's like, it's absurd. I'm free. I you know I my life is fine basically, and he's spending a third of his time in solitary confinement, and he's writing to me, cheer up, you know, you you, you shouldn't yeah. put your hands down. You do do what's necessary, and you know, don't wallow in despair. And he kept the sedative until the very end. That's amazing. Um, so listen, uh, we have been talking close to an hour. Um, and as you know, what we usually do now, I mean, traditionally, this is uh, how long our podcasts were roughly. Uh, now we sometimes keep going into what we call overtime. That part is available to paid subscribers of the non-zero newsletter. We encourage everyone to become one. It's easy to do. Uh, in fact, there's a link uh, in the show notes of the the app. Uh, you can Google Non-Zero, and then uh, you can you can set up a, a a podcast feed. If you're a paid subscriber, that'll always have access to all the overtime and the the and the various uh, the various stuff that's behind the paywall, including the print stuff. Um, before we do that, I want to say again that that people should uh, before we head into overtime. And thanks for sticking around for this part, Nikita. Um. Should tell people again to check out your newsletter, Psychopolitica. Um, and do you do you have that that picture handy to show people of of uh, uh, or should uh, we wait? We we can't just take a break and do it in in overtime if you don't have it like within our. You like find it and share my screen with you. Yeah, I mean screen share uh, that would work. Uh, I mean, I, if you can I do it, I can do that. I think quickly. I can do that. I, sh I and, think uh, I should be able to. Find I mean, it. screen share. I'll explain why you look for it is problematic sometimes on, uh, <laughs> as it translates into these, uh, into these videos. I mean, I'm, a, I'm sure we can. You know, I can send it to you, you later. Have you put it on? Have, have you post. put it on your newsletter? Oh, I actually put it on Twitter, but I found it. I found it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Your screen. So, oh, it says host disabled participant screen sharing. Okay. Well, um, you can. Uh, I can send it to you. Send it. Send it to us, and we'll do something or other with it. Um, yeah. 
And uh, so anyway, uh, thanks to people who've uh, stuck around for this long. I hope you'll join us in uh, overtime. Let me, let me say just one more thing at the okay. end, uh, which is, so we've been talking about this as if the story is over and maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. So the development since the death is his wife made a video saying, or widow, I should say, saying she's going to continue his work. Right. Which I don't know what that means. Uh, today, I actually haven't had the time to read, but she made some kind of a speech. I don't even know where, but uh, it's it's an address to the leaders of uh, other countries. And I guess she's, uh, she's urging them to not... Um, not recognize the presidential election that's going to happen in a in a month or so. I forget the uh -huh. date, but it's in March. And 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 Navalny himself endorsed. It was not his idea, but he endorsed a strategy for legally and safely showing protest against Putin and his regime during the election. The election. I think is the first one that's going to last three days instead of one. And uh, the idea is that on the last day of the election, at noon, is when people who would like to vote against Putin but are not really able to do so will show mm -hmm. up. So it's like, do whatever, you know, vote for a different candidate or spoil the ballot or steal the ballot or whatever is just show up at the polling station at noon on the last day of the election it's not like you can arrest people for showing up at the presidential election is the uh -huh. idea though who knows um but he he endorsed this approach and so now there's like a month before the election and i don't know what Yulia Navalny is going to try to do with this, but apparently he's she she wants to try to do something, and so we're you know we'll we'll see more news. Okay, I guess the last piece of news is she's now banned on Twitter or on X. Or she's banned. You wouldn't think that the speech free speech proponent like Elon, Elon Musk, Musk banned her on Twitter. And she registered after his death, I think. I don't think she had a, a, a Twitter account. Huh. That's mind-blowing. Well, we can talk more about all this stuff in overtime, uh, and, you know, how things look for the future and so on. But I got to show people this picture. I've now got the picture of you and Navalny. I hope it shows up on Zoom because uh, it, it, it's such a great uh, picture. Um I mean, I'll tell you what, we will make it show up on the screen. So if yeah, people are listening can. on the podcast, you can go to the YouTube channel. And by the way, as long as I'm making appeals uh, to people watching on YouTube, if you click the like button, more people will will uh, watch this this video. That's the way the YouTube algorithm works. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to do a screen share here. Uh, and we'll if this doesn't show up right, we'll just we'll just edit it in to the video. But um there, so you can see that now, right, Nikita? Yeah. And and you're right over, you're on the left. You're just beyond his right shoulder. You're like right there. Yeah. If I were you, I would have cropped, up, cropped out this guy on it over his left shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it's not my picture. It's, you can see the, like, the, the copyright, uh, you know, the, who the photographer the who took it. 
I don't so know. You didn't it's... even like have this taken. You didn't like say. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. This is don't get a picture of me in a boat. It's wow. an event where there were photographers. That's At amazing. that time, you could. I mean, I've had many opportunities to like approach him and take a picture with him, uh, as people did back then. Uh-huh. But for some reason, I've never, I never was the guy to to do that with like a you know see a famous person, musician, or somebody and try to take a picture. I probably should. Probably well, should start doing that because people die. Yeah, apparently. So uh, here he seems to be wearing Converse All Stars, which further endears him to me. Um, okay. So thanks to everybody. Now we're going to head into overtime.